Now, here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. All righty, we are back. Yes, we are. Hour number two, and we have with us, I believe, Peter Wood and Jay. Is it Caldwell, uh, Peter? Is that who you have with you today? Yeah. Hi, Brad, Kenny, folks out there. Uh, Peter Wood here again. Yeah, I got a guest on today. We're going to a different nation now, Brad. We're branching out even far to different countries to get folks on to talk about what goes on with the timber industry, the forest industry. And also, Jay Caldwell, who's out of Thunder Bay, is part of a team that does firefighting all over the world, folks. And it's quite interesting to talk to him. Him and his group have uh, were part of the team that was stationed up in Ely after the blowdown to help try and protect the area in case fires really start taking off. And 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 Jay, ah. are you there? Give the folks a little bit of background. Yes, I am. Good morning. Hi, Jay. Good morning. Good morning, you, Jay. You guys in, how are you doing? Good, good. So yeah, you we were, were up in Ely. You were up in Ely after the big blowdown. Talk a little bit about your experience, if you would, Jay. Well, in uh, blowdown happened in '99. Both sides of the border here, Minnesota got it, Ontario got it. Minnesota DNR purchased two CL215 water bombing aircraft from Canada to protect um, in the event the forest fire got going in that blowdown. So there yes. was seven of us, six or seven of us from from Ontario that came down to fly and maintain the aircraft company out of Arizona, had the contract to operate them for the state of Minnesota. So we spent most of our time in the first year um, just, just at e- in Ely, and then uh, after that sure. we kind of branched out Earlier in the spring, we'd go to Brainerd or Bemidji because it was still snow on the ground or wet in the Ely area, and then back to sit in at least one airplane in Ely, maybe one in Hibbing, in the event that the, the blowdown did catch catch fire because it was uh, in millions of trees, and, and a lot of the trees were the the old growth pine, big pine. That, yes. Um, if it ever if it ever got going, it was going to be a. Um, a major fire. Well, and and Peter, I I think we did have um, some fires later on, not right during that period of time, but there were some that were started by lightning fires and things like that later, but it never got as big as some people anticipated it might be. No, it never did. Uh, Jay was there from, I think, what was it, like 2000 or so to 2013 or whatever. I can't remember the exact dates, Jay, if you want to hit on that. But I think there's little fires here and there that happened, but not what everybody was very that knew what was going on was terrified of that could happen. But uh, yeah. Jay, do you remember the years that you were there? Well, I was there from 2000 to 2006, and the the state sold those aircraft in 2015, I believe. So I think the fires you're speaking of were 2007, 2011. There was a couple of good sized fires that that got going right. in there from from lightning and, and and luckily it was that you know that's 7 years after the blowdown or 11 years after the blowdown so a lot of that a lot of that timber starts to rot and the and the fuel source is is much reduced so we we were basically an insurance policy you know at sure. the, at the time sure. when the, when the blowdown came that i mean there's 
like most fires, if, if conditions are right, and luckily in northern Minnesota, we, you don't get to that super dry, super hot stage very often or for very long. Like n- Nothing like you'd see so, down in the southern. So, Jay, uh, this is Brad again. Do you actually fly the plane then? Are you part of the crew or or? What's your part, part of the part of the crew, but the but ground crew? Like I'm I'm a mechanic by trade, maintenance okay. engineer, okay. and um, private private pilot. So I mean, l- l- we're, we were pretty lucky, you know. You know, with the system the way it was, you, you could fly on the airplane when you wanted. If you wanted to go and see the fire, or maybe see something sure. on the aircraft, how it's operating during during the a bombing run. So you, you could go up and view. And, uh, and we got lots of flying in. Uh, um, the air- airplanes would do weekly test flights. If there was no fire activity, they still needed to verify the airplane. Okay. Everything's working. Those too. things, uh, th- those uh, planes always amaze me because they come down right over a lake and just kind of skim the top of the surface to fill their tanks. And then they take off and, and go up and then go around and drop their load much like you say, almost like a bombing run uh, on the fire. There, there's, It seems to me there would be a, a certain amount of risk involved in scooping up that water as they go. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, the the um, se- several risks are, I mean, one, you want to really make sure um, that the pilots are going to pick a lake that's long enough, that doesn't yeah. have um, many many obstructions at the at the takeoff end. Just to make sure when they get down, and, and they're 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 lifting or they're adding on fourteen thousand um, gallons of of water. So, so it's that's a, a lot of weight. Yeah, it's about yeah. about twelve thousand about twelve thousand pounds. So they um, they, they want to make sure the lake's long enough. They want to make sure there's no obstructions in the water. You know, do a pass over the lake and make sure there's not a reef or a rock or something floating debris. So sure. That, that they want they want to make sure those hazards are not not in the way, and then they do their their pickup run, and it's just two small scoops that rotate down. It's a six inch wide by four inch high scoop on either side of the keel, that forces the water. They're doing about a hundred miles an hour for for easy math, and that drives the water into the tanks in the cockpit. They watch a instrument come up that says the tank is full or. Maybe if they have a, a high load of fuel on, they won't take a full load of water for the first couple runs. Sure, only a full load. Lift the probes. I would imagine. I, w- I would imagine when they're uh, looking at the lake to pick the water up, and they also are looking at uh, uh, non-natural uh, uh, obstacles too, in case there's people down there fishing, <laughs> etc. Oh, you want to make sure that the lake is clear. <laughs> Definitely, and it, it it didn't take long. I mean, whether whether we were in Ely or I mean, not as busy landing on water around the Ely area. But then you, when you get into Bemidji or Hibbing area, Side Lake, where there's more boat traffic in the summer, it didn't take long for people to figure out. You know, they they wanted to watch the the airplane land and pick up water, so people would people get out of the way, just as sure. common sure. courtesy. Common courtesy, but. Yeah, there's definitely you, you so, want to make sure there's no no boat traffic going to cross your path. So, Jay, do you do you guys kind of go wherever you are hired? In other words, can uh, have you been out in California? Have you been to some of these other areas, or do some of these areas have their own uh, bomber squadrons that will help uh, you know with fire suppression? Yeah, m- most areas have their own. I mean, th- there are different companies that that uh, farm their airplanes out wherever the need be. 
you know. Okay. Same okay. same was the, the case for the Minnesota um, 215s. Once, um, if you had a wet summer, then as that airplane got introduced into different states, we would go to Montana. We spent quite a bit of time out of Helena, Montana, um, up to Alaska for parts of the summer just to, to move the airplane around and, and use it where where the threat was. And um, sure. that that um, company I worked for previous to going to work uh, for in Minnesota, when I worked for the manufacturer, it really just depended on where they were trying to sell airplanes. And, and we went to South America, Europe, wherever. Uh, God, you, so you've, been, was, you've kind of kind of been all over the place. You really moved around. Yeah, we were lucky. We we got a lot of uh, a lot of exposure to different places, different people. And we, we had a we had a short run when I was there in California. It was Riverside fires probably two thousand and five, um, when the, there were some massive fires down there in California. So we got to see mm-hmm. a bit of that as well. Say, so Jay, on those massive fires like that, you want to tell the folks what sometimes happens that you saw from your standpoint when you got the call about a fire that almost like you get there and it's almost like you're being held back. Could you explain a little bit about that? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, we, we experience it here in Canada as well where, I mean, no matter how much money and, and, and technology you want to put into, put into the firefighting airplane or the ground crews, the shortest, the, the, to shorten up the time from the person who, who identifies there's a fire until it's action, where there's suppression, whether it's water from a water bomber, retardant, or a ground crew on it, and and it, it seems a lot of times the the bigger the bigger the system, the longer it takes for that initial attack to occur. So then you know okay. if, it's, if it's the next day and that's a massive, dry, very low humidity fuel source that gets going, then the wind comes up, and as you see with the California fires this year. Once that fire gets rolling, you, you you can't control the the direction of the fire. You can you can put out what in the areas where it's burned, and they can drop retardant down the sides of it. But there's no there's no tankers and no no person that can pump water to put it out when when it starts to roll. Oh yeah, you're, you're at the Jay. We, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that Peter told you we're a commercial radio station, so we have to do a, a break here, but. Uh, as we go to break, uh, please be thinking about some of the biggest uh, fires that you have fought and also a little bit about maybe who maintains the best fire suppression systems that that you've seen around the country where where they maybe do roads into those areas or how they uh, prepare to fight a fire that might come up. But we got to take a quick break, Northlanders. I want to remind everybody about our friends up at Cast Iron Bar and Grill. Uh, it is, as we say, it is a one-stop shop for food, fun, and family get-togethers. Pike Lake's best-kept secret is no secret anymore. The uh, and, and in fact, if you want to have a great breakfast on a weekend, Saturday and Sunday, from 9 until 1, the Cast Iron Bar and Grill will serve ready-made omelets the way you want them, pancakes, biscuits, and gravy made fresh from scratch every morning, the breakfast staples cooked up fresh for you. Any day is a great day to try a Cast Iron's luncheon and dinner specials as well. I know I love their Wednesday rib night. They're fantastic. 
And they've also got a lot of entertainment up at the Cast Iron Bar and Grill. They got DJ trivia each week. Join them on fun starting at 7 p.m. every Wednesday. Uh, come play DJ trivia, the area's most fun live hosted pub trivia hosted by a live disc jockey. And please, don't forget on Friday night, if you like to get out and have some good fish fry, as everybody does in the Northland, uh, they have got a fantastic all-you-can-eat fish fry at the Cast Iron Bar and Grill. It's only $9.99 every Friday. So the Cast Iron Bar and Grill is the place to go for fun food and family get-togethers. With that, Kenny, we got to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with uh, Jay and Peter. Your Twin Ports home from a Wichita, they score! WDSM. WDSM time, 925, looking at the National Weather Service in Duluth, Brad. Well, we've got 52 degrees at Sky Harbor and up over the hill. Uh, getting an update here. There it is, overcast and 49. Fantastic. It's getting uh, getting nice. Going to warm up a little bit as the day goes on. So, Jay and uh, and Peter... Uh, Jay, you've been, sounds like you've been doing this for a long, long time. Uh, in your memory bank, what is the biggest fire that you've actually, uh, had the ability to work on? Um, well, I don't know if any one really stands out. I mean, the, the, the fires we saw in, um, in California in 2005 in Riverside was, Maybe not the biggest that we'd worked on. It was just just the most destruction we we had seen. I mean, we yeah we were fighting when we we're fighting fire up in Canada. I mean, out west in British Columbia, they they do get fires that get really close to communities and large scale communities where most other parts of of the fire world up here are are it's a forest fire in the bush where um, very little structure is threatened. Where in California, right. I mean, in in the one afternoon, we, we we literally watched 1,200 houses burn up north of the airport. Oh my I mean, god! It just you know the, the is it the temp- is is it Jay just that they do such a terrible job of uh, managing their forests, or or is it just because of the combination of the Santa Ana winds and the heat factor and other things that that make their fire stand out? I think I think the factors make make the California or the West Coast fires stand stand, and and there's just so much um, interface with with houses and people. I mean, they yeah. They, I, I I do very strongly believe they have to manage what what's on the ground there. Like that that fuel source has to be. It's either gonna you're either gonna cut it or it's gonna burn. And yeah, I mean, we can't cut all the trees down, but man, you can you can look back. Um, Many, many, many years ago, decades ago, when people that were, you know, very smart in the in the ecosystem, talking about doing prescribed burns or harvesting timber to lessen the fuel source for when it is a fire season. Yeah, I mean that's the only that's the only thing we get to do is we get to a educate people on how forest fires start and how deadly and dangerous they are. And, and we have a little bit of control over the fuel source. We can't control this. I mean, our temperatures are growing up every year. If you look, I think this year, Death Valley set a, like a world record for temperature. So, so yeah. And so you and get in the, some of those areas, some of those areas, Jay, out in California, the, the they don't have huge amounts of timber as much as brush. And in the canyons, they they get 
they they'll have a fire go through and four or five years later they got as much underbrush as they had before because the stuff grows so fast um are they learning in california to deal to prepare for fires better at all well, I mean, I, I I haven't been in the in the suppression game for for a few years, and, and definitely not right right on the front line of what's happening in California. But it it, it doesn't seem to be that the the uh, the situation isn't getting better. I mean, they they, they do no, have it doesn't some seem to be, and 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 a lot of places that are that are uh, maybe initiating plans to to do things a little differently. But there's a, I mean, that that, that stuff has to be done. You know, figured out and done in the in the off season before this kind of a fire season starts again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Peter, when you're looking at what happens out on the west coast like that, uh, are you seeing a lot uh, of uh, interference too? From for example, I know that this year they blamed a number of the fires on on uh, sparks that came off of electrical systems and off of charging systems. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't doesn't seem like they prepare that well for it. To me, it's a lot of it's to do with the management. Like Jay was saying, the management of the forest is so critical. You, uh, the trees take time to grow. They don't just all of a sudden grow real fast. You know, like next year we got a huge fire danger because the trees all grow thirty feet. We we have yeah. to stay on a management plan to where we constantly have the removal of the fuel. So for for instance, folks, how about this? For our area, where we can all understand it more, and there's other people listening in other parts of the country here, but like the, the, the BWC blowdown, I always had the thought, and I was always told by folks that if that thing started roaring, even Duluth wouldn't be safe. But talking to Jay, and I had thoughts kind of privately on it, but talking to Jay, it reaffirmed my thoughts, is that if that thing really started going roaring pretty good, there's been a lot of roads a lot of logging that has taken place between here and the BWCA over many, many years of, of management. I think what would, listening to Jay and thinking about it, the, the fire would, let's say, get roaring really good, but it would, it would start running to a different type of fuel where it would start to slow down. You're still going to have the fingers go out, but that main, main thing where it's just going to keep wiping out for vast amounts would slowly diminish. And that's what I think is a problem over the country is that as you take away the logging and the management, the trees are still going to grow greatly. They're still going to build that fuel. And and then when it does go, everybody steps back like, how could this have happened? All these houses are wiped out. It's sad. But if you could run two two worlds at the same time, the one wouldn't believe that the other one is accomplishing it. You, yeah, you, you, yeah. you wouldn't. It's, it's, you have to manage your force constantly because they're constantly going to grow, and how we do it is we have to commercially log it. And then you have the roads in, you have the defueling, and then the forest fires, yeah, we're still going to have some. Jay can attest to this. No matter what you do, you're still going to have forest fires, but percentage-wise, we will drop it way, way down, way down. And then we're we're also going to create tax revenue where when we do firefighting it's a tax deficit the money goes out in taxes to pay for the firefighting you're still going to have to have some firefighters because there's always going to be some but the percentage sure. will change quite a bit well and and yeah, peter and, and, i think and, and, you hit it uh 
I think you hit it on the head that if you prepare for the fire, if you have access roads in where you've logged, you've thinned out some of the uh, f- some of the fuel on the floor, um, it makes it much easier to fight if you do get a fire that breaks out. And yeah. if, you, if you look at the the, the Ely blowdown in '99, um, I mean, unfortunately, Minnesota and the feds wouldn't wouldn't allow anybody to do anything with that fuel source sitting on the ground where on the Ontario side yeah. they went they went right in and logged it because it's you're looking at some massive massive pine trees and and, and millions of them laying there so you, you think of the lineal board feet of, of lumber that got to be harvested out of there this is the stuff on the south side of the border that just rotted yeah it, it was it was amazing it was amazing to me Jay to see us buying lumber from Canada that they had simply harvested from the blowdown and paying good money for it where we could have been helping our own tax industry out and our own tax uh, income out in this country by going in and, and harvesting some of that. And I think some of the fires that we had later on were caused by that fuel on the floor rotting and decaying and it was just ripe for taking off when a fire started. Oh, oh, definitely, and I, I'm pretty sure you could find um, in the resources of the the Minnesota DNR they they had a, a scientific plan of so the year one, two, three, four, you know the 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 fuel source was X, and then it, it slowly diminished because it, it starts to decay, but but it's still there. It's I mean you can't you can't climb over it yet. It hasn't rotted to the point where you can you know drive a snowmobile through there and. And forget right. there was a bunch of trees laying there. So the, the fuel source still lays. Well, Kenny, uh, I think we've got to take our, our Fox News break, do we not? I think we've got to take that, get that out of the way, and then we'll come back with uh, Pete and Jay. We'll be right back. Giant Redwood, larch, the fir, the mighty Scots pine, the smell of fresh-cut timber, the crash of mighty trees. With my best girl by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I eat my lunch, I go to the lavatory. Go to the lavatory. (laughs) Peter, does your best girl help you out in the woods once in a while? Uh, no, I didn't marry her for her ability to harvest trees, I'll tell you that. Okay, good. <laughs> I went shallow looks only. Uh, that's the way. Uh, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, <laughs> well, guys, uh, guys, we, uh, we've been talking about fire suppression but this morning, uh, how to uh, fight fires. And, of course, it's great to have Jay, who's had a lot of experience in that area, um, but, but what, uh, you know, we want to get, uh, um, we want to get an idea of what is the best way to prepare to not have to fight a fire. Uh, but, and Peter, maybe yeah. you want to talk about that a little bit. That's what I've been trying to strive for, for quite a while. Remember back in January, we brought Bruce Vincent, January, Bruce Vincent on about 95% of the force out there are federal then in February, brought on Bill Jones, Alabama. Ninety-five percent of the timber there is privately owned. 
and there's a huge contrast where the fire fire there's different moisture content and there's different don't get me wrong but that's where you can get the fire prevention greatly changed is we have to manage our force we have to have we need we desperately need businesses to be in the in the timber area states to where we can sell our product so that we can manage the forest and people will buy the, our products that we're making like there's a like to- toilet paper starting to not be such a shortage but there could be a toilet paper factory made we could produce the wood for yes. that where uh, the president mentioned I missed the part of it on the debate last night about managing the forest to knock down the fires he's right he's he's yeah. coming to Duluth today and right now oh folks if 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 I don't know if you got tickets or not but um, the logger Scott Dane is down there going to be getting ready and there's a, the theme is kind of supposed to be a lumberjack theme where um president's going to come and talk and uh, there's going to be a lot of loggers there truckers of the wood and they're supposed to wear red and black no yeah red and black plaid shirts to represent the timber industry and so backstage of the president should be a lot of those shirts or the whole thing i should say and the first three rows is supposed to be quite a few hopefully it never it can change but but uh, if any loggers out there, anybody that wants to come, I'm asking all the folks out there listening in the Duluth area, if you're going to come, uh, if you're for logging, you got one, bring and wear a plaid shirt to represent sure. the timber industry. And then, and then folks that, that you're not for it, if you could do, is wear a black and red plaid shirt if you're against logging. And we'll be able to pick you <laughs> out, okay? It'll work. It will work, Brad. What do you have for that? Come on now. <laughs> Just the opposite for color, yeah. Either wear yeah, black and red if you're... Too. Yeah, okay. okay. But, but uh, hopefully you can get a chance. I don't know. A lot of times uh, the, the presidents, whoever it is, they're so busy. They're in and out. But he's been... There has been talk that he's interested in talking about the timber industry, listening to some of the, like, Congressman Stauber uh, talk... There, there's, there's making good headway right now, folks, about the timber industry of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and hopefully other parts of the country. Because when you hear somebody like Jay talk about where he saw 1,200 homes burn up at one time, oh, that is devastating, devastating. And that's why I'm trying to make the comparison over and over again. The trees grow and they die, but we got to do something with the fuel load. Anybody that's alive today, uh, 200 years ago, all these trees that we see now, other than some few trees, were all not here. They were yeah. not here 200 years ago. Some of the big white pines, yes, but but we're, we're trying to give a constant contrast that we need to have the timber industry. We need to have that infrastructure so that when you do have a problem like a blowdown, back in 99 when that blew down, the loggers could have got in there and cleaned up a quite a bit, just like Canadian side. They could have cleaned it up quite well, but there was an issue with not strong enough, not enough loggers because they're doing other projects. Back then, we had a lot more mills to haul to. We had way more. Yeah. And now if the same thing happened, we have a hard time. Where are we going to take the wood? Where are we going to put the product? We are trying to well, generate tax revenue not take it away. That's the thing when we when when we try and meet with our legislators and that, we're not going there pleading asking for money. 
we're going there asking, we're trying to figure out a way to make it so we can make a better livelihood. That's what we're after. And one of it is the timber industry. And without that, folks, you got to have that three-legged stool. You have to have that three-legged stool of any economy to make it. you got to have mining, farming, and logging. That's where all money is generated from. And I keep saying that because it totally soaks in that you take one of them out, your country oh, will yeah. collapse. Yeah, you have to. You have to we're the same the, up here. Uh, like you have to. You have to rely upon your resources, and you just you have to have a system in place and educate the the people and the users of it. Of I mean, you can't you can't clear cut the whole forest down in three years. You got none left. You have to have a system in place where you can manage it. You know, we're gonna. This I, I is think, the section I we're gonna guys, cut this year. I think, guys, we've still not had enough education to so that people can understand that a forest is is regrowable that it, that it's a renewable source and that it can come back again and again and again if you manage it properly. Peter, I know you wanted a minute or two at the end here to talk about the future of the industry. Have you covered that a little bit or do you want to say something else before we have to break? Yeah, I did, Brad. I covered a bit of it there, but um what what's going on is it's a it's a slow slow walk to educate individuals about what really goes on. And that's why I'm so thankful yeah. to, to Brad and Kenny to let me come on back in 2016 to start talking about this because folks, when they start to understand what really goes on, then they start to see a logging job site or a pulp truck or, or timber being harvested. They start to really understand more what's going on. And that's why I wanted to have Jay come on who's seen this happen in other parts of the world so it isn't just from me that he sees that Yes, these things get out of hand where the only way that fire is going to stop is by natural rain coming or something or running out of energy. But yeah. the, 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 we need the markets. And right now we're getting close to the verge. Remember, I keep bringing up the company, Incent, where they would take and turn wood into bio crude. Well, that is getting closer and closer, folks, to becoming reality. And uh, I'm hoping that somehow we can get it. It's just, it's, it's kind of like we're at the two yard line. And ready to put the plans on, it's right there right now, folks. It's, so it's very exciting, but it's not there. Until it's in the end zone, it's not happening. Yeah. But I believe it's yeah. going to. I have a real good listening to the politicians talk that we're really close, and we need something like that. Because if you can get rid of the bad wood, you can get rid of the good wood. Because sawmills will build if they can get the product. Paper mills, right. we're not going to... Paper mills aren't going to make it anymore in that room because the change in the times, the phone systems, the computers. Sure, sure. But the, 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 the industry that we could make, the products that folks use on a regular basis, that's why I say we can't go back to accessory mode. We have to go back to necessity mode. And when you do that, no matter what the times are, people are going to use toilet paper. They're going to use soap. They're going to build homes no matter what, yes. but they may not buy the high-end magazines. So you got to yeah. tailor to that. And 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 well, Peter, and, uh, go ahead. Peter, I just want to uh, I just want to thank you and Jay for being on again this morning. Uh, once a month, it gives us a, a little bit of a insight into a huge part of our. Uh, Northland Industries up here. Like you say, without the logging and trucking industry, we really don't have much else up here other than uh, mining, and uh, mining has had a downturn as well. So 
We really appreciate uh, you coming on every month and bringing people like Jay with you. It gives us a, a great insight into what's going on. So thank you guys again, and we look forward to having you again next month, Peter. Thank you very much, Brad, Jay, Kenny, and the you folks bet. out there listening. I appreciate it very much. You're willing to let us talk about other industry that's always hidden.